Well, let me just start off with a, a bit of a, a review that, um, before I even start that, you're probably wondering why um, Gayla's up here, and she, she's not being a proctor to check up on you, but, but you know how Moses was like weighing to God, well, I can't speak. I'm like yesterday going, I can't write, and I can't spell, and I'm going to be so distracted. So I'm going to use a whiteboard today. There's my Erin, I mean my Gayla, so she's going to write for me, so... Um, she's graciously offered to help me in that, so that's why she's up there, because I'm going to have her put some things on the whiteboard. Well, let's um, kind of review last week what we kind of touched on, that the Bible it was dual in nature is what we talked about, that it is a divine book, and being divine, it means it was written by God. Second Peter 1, 20 through 21. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's interpretation, but that, it, that no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but man moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So that verse can give us confidence that God wrote this book, but he also used man to jot the words down. And so we know that it's also a human book. And it being a human book, it tells us that it was written by a particular people at a particular time in a particular place for a particular reason. And so all of that, we come to the Bible recognizing, and it helps us to approach God's word with a humble and prayerful and respectful attitude because God is the one that wrote this word. And so we want to approach it with anticipation that, that God's Holy Spirit, he, he's going to give us understanding of it. He's going to help us to know what he has written and that he accomplishes what he has said. And we approach it with faith, with that belief that, that God is speaking and therefore it's truth. And so we talked about that last week and that's just a quick reminder but this week we're going to start with the principles I'm going to give you two principles that can help you approach studying the Bible and so you let those principles guide you as you dig into the word and within those principles you'll gain some tools that will help you um, find out what is in God's word so our first principle is called staying on the line, and you should have an outline in your notebook that will coincide um, with these principles. And if you're listening to this um, lecture online, in the back of your notebook, you have the Simeon Trust principles that will actually have the diagram that we're going to put up on the board. So you can follow that, and hopefully that will help. So our first principle states that we must stay on the line of Scripture never strain above it or below it, that there is a line of scripture and it is the inspired truth, God's word. And we are not called to judge this line, but we are to listen and to follow that line. And so I, I get to do one little illustration. Well, actually, I'm going to do two, but that's, it's, it's not that hard. So I, I figure I could do that. So we have this line, not a very straight line, but God's word is a line. It's a line of scripture. And this is the truth. And, and there's a time that sometimes we go above God's word, and there's times that we go below God's word. And that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about this line of truth that is a reality that we, we know in part, but so easily stray from it. And so let me kind of give you an explanation uh, about this line. So the first thing is, is that this represents God's word. It is the truth. It is his spoken word that we find in the Bible. Well, we are tempted sometimes to require more of God's word, more than what scripture says. And this is, happens in our zeal to follow God's word. We, we have a tendency to add some rules or boundaries to it that kind of, and when we go to do rules and boundaries, that's called legalism. We're putting onto God's word more than perhaps what it is actually saying. And we place that burden on other people, perhaps. Another thing in our zeal to follow God's word, sometimes 
will hold to tradition as though it was the written law. And we become very strict and unbendable and law-keeping. Well, that's a form of Phariseeism. I can never say that word, Phariseeism. And, and so that goes above the line because we're adding to what's already there. Another way that we go above the line in our zeal to follow God's rules is that we'll hold to traditional attitudes, values, morals. And then we're, so therefore, we're cautious about change. We, we become more rigid, and that's a, a kind of conservatism where we let that be the thing that we look to rather than the line. Well, just as we can go above the line, we can go below the line. And, and, so, in, and so in that temptation to go below the line, we let liberalism take place. And what that is is that our experiences set the standards, and therefore we ignore the content and the point of Scripture. And in so doing, we subtract from the Scriptures. We minimize it. Or in our temptation to dip below the line, we go into a kind of antinomian, which is relating to the view that I've been saved by grace. I don't have to keep the commandments. I've been forgiven. God's forgiven me anyway. So I can just jump over those commandments in the word of God and, and not worry about them. And so we go below the, the line of scripture. And then another way that we are tempted or we dip below the line is that we go into a kind of licentiousness, which where we, we then say, you know what? Today is so different than the way the Bible was written. It, it's okay to be morally... Uh, you, you know, promiscuous, or, you know, I can live with my boyfriend. I, you know, we, we, we begin to say, what does our culture say? And we let that be the thing that tells us what is true, rather than looking to what scripture, what God has said, letting that line dictate what is to be. And so all of these will take us either above or below God's line. Well, as students of God's word, we must commit ourselves to saying nothing more or less than what scripture says. So this principle that we're talking about is to help us to seek to study the scriptures. We want to be mindful that the scripture is saying something to me, and I want to make sure I get that meaning. I want to be careful to say I don't want to say nothing more than what Scripture says, and I don't want to say anything less than what Scripture says. Another way to say that, as a lawyer would say, nothing but the truth, only the truth, right? And so truth is that line of Scripture. And we want to tell the whole truth, all of it. We don't want to leave any of it out. We want to land on every word and want to know what does that mean? What does God intend by saying this? And, and we know this principle in general, right? We know the temptation to say, for example, that this sweater cost only $20. But in reality, perhaps it cost $23.99. So I haven't really kept to the line of truth. I've, I've minimized by taking away from what was there. Or I can embellish it and go above, add to that whole story of, well, not only did it cost two, you know, $23.99, but it, it actually was on sale. And, and, you know, and, and so then you, know, you, you just start adding to, uh, to the story and you, you, you just minimize the truth. And so what does that mean to stay on the line of Scripture? Well, in a nutshell, it means taking the Bible's words so seriously that we do not add to them, that means going above the line, or we, don't want, we want to take Bible's words so seriously that we don't take away from the Bible's words, and so therefore we go below the line. We want to be serious about what has God said, and why did he say it, and we want to believe that what he has said applies today. So handling the word of truth. Let's look at that. 
on your outline, I think you have 2 Timothy 2.15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, handling, accurately handling the word of truth. And, and ladies, that's, that's what we want to be. We want to be women who are approved workmen, women who handle the word of truth with accuracy. Because we all have that tendency, those impulses to wander from the truth. So in this session, we're talking about how can we handle this truth, this word of God, that this line that we are talking about. Well, with this line, with this being truth, there comes two assumptions that we want to talk about. The first assumption is that there is a line, that there is truth found in this book. And that these words really are the standard. This is the truth. And, and so we, we cling to, to the word that says, like in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So God's word, in, even just in those four categories, can reach into your lives and do some things. But we want to know, what did God say? And so we recognize that there is a line, and that is our starting point, that there is a line of truth, and God spoke it. And so with that, we want to know, what did he say? Well, our second assumption about this line is that this line is authoritative. That means it has an authority over our life, over our hearts, over our mind. It should be the thing that we look to, that we submit to, because it's talking to us to help us understand how to navigate in a broken world. And, and so we submit ourselves to the truth of God's word. And that's what it talks about when we say we want to follow that line. And ladies, we are called to hear the Bible's words. And then we want to speak them clearly and submissively as we can with the help of God's spirit. So we speak God's word to ourselves. We speak God's words to each other. We want to have God's word reverberating in our mind, just as much as, as those words that you say, and you go, guys, sound just like my mother. And, and we, we hear those voices, right? Well, we want God's word to be so indwelt in us that that's the verse that keep, ver words that keep coming back and it's teaching us about who God is and the importance of what he has said. On your um, outline, you have a verse, Deuteronomy 4, 2. And we're going to kind of, this is going to be kind of lecture, workshop kind of platform that we're going to do here. So I want interaction from you guys. And so you get to respond to my questions. And um, so the first one that we're going to dialogue about is uh, concerning Deuteronomy 4.2. And as I read this verse, and you can read it silently, I want you to listen to this clear principle that we're talking about by staying in the line, not adding to it, and not taking away. And I want you to see from this verse what's at stake if we do one of these things. So let me read Deuteronomy 4.2. You shall not add to the word which I am commanding you, nor take away from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. So what is at stake in this verse? What do you see from this verse is at stake? That means you can talk now. <laughs> Anyone? Okay, obedience. Okay, good, good. What else is at stake? Do you see anything else? What word did they use in that verse? Keeping, keeping, yeah, keeping the commandments, obedience. And the Hebrew word for keep is shamar, which means to obey, to observe. And it also means to keep in your possession as a treasure. You hang on to it. You don't let it go. And, and so that is what is important is that this is what you want to hang on to. This is what you want to obey. And, and if you add to it or you take away, there's, there's no keeping of God's word because it's no longer God's word. You've added your own to it. 
There's no keeping it in your possession. And so the point is we cannot have God's word if we add to it or take away from it, for then it is no longer God's word anymore. Let's do another one. Let's look at another verse. It's on your outline, 1 Corinthians 4, 6. Again, I want you to tell me what is at stake here. So let me read it. Now these things, brethren, I have figuredly applied to myself and Apollos for your sakes, so that in us you may learn not to exceed what is written, so that no one of you will become arrogant in behalf of one another against, on behalf of one against the other. So what is at stake? What do you see in this verse concerning this line? If we're adding to it or taking away, what happens? What's at stake? Do you see anything? Pride. Pride, exactly. And so if pride is happening, what else happens? Look at that verse. What else does it tell you? What happens when pride and arrogance take place? Conflict. There's division. Yeah. So when we don't stick to the line, there's the propensity for arrogance and pride to raise up because my words, you know, you should speak, listen to me, that, you know, you get this, this division then takes place because this person is haughty and, and it just doesn't work. So we want to stick here. We want to stick on the line because God seeks for unity. So just think of the picture of what we're doing when we add our words to God's word. When we put our thoughts above God's word. It really is arrogant of us. It's prideful of us. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 is a great reminder. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts, your thoughts. So we have to recognize that God is so amazingly deep and wise that how could we even think that we could add anything else to it? And so we recognize that this, this line is so sufficient. It is everything that, is, that we need is, is already there. And so that should help us to not add or subtract from what he has already said. So we're going to dialogue about how we go above the line and how we go below the line. Because sometimes, you know, we can see this in theory, but how, how does that really play out in our lives? What does that really look like? So let's, let's talk about some of the ways that we tend to go above the line. So you just yell out some ways, and Gail will write them up there. And if it's above the line, we'll put it up here. And if it's below the line, we'll go down here. So what are some ways that we go above the line? Tell me. What's that? Yes, dare you? Yes, yes. Okay, there you go. Did you hear that? It's really grape juice, not wine. What is she trying? What is she saying? You shouldn't be drinking. There's no drinking done around here. And, and so... What does scripture really say? We, we go with what scripture says. But she has a conviction in her heart that I don't want to drink alcohol and you shouldn't either. So she adds to God's word by implying this added burden, this added rule. So what, what other ways do we go above the line? Karen. Okay. There you go. Okay, so looking in towards of mission, we go into another country who is culturally different, and we take our cultural, in, cultural into that, and we bear it on them. We say, you've got to be like this. You can't be like that. And so we, we take our own ideas, our own thoughts that we think are good, and, and, we, and we'll even find places in God's word that can kind of verify that a little bit. And we slap it on people. What else is there? What other things can you think of? Education. education. Okay. There you go. We, we, we will look to see that education is such a value. And, and so we, we highlight anything that, that God might say about education, and we dump more onto it. 
working outside the home. There you go. In fact, in Titus, we're going to see that little verse working, our, you know, worker at home. And, and, and you, if you have a real conviction that that's where you should be, a woman in the house, you'll take that and you'll label it on people's head, forehead and you'll say, you're not doing this. And, and so then you feel this burden because, gosh, it's in God's word, but what have they neglected to do? What does the whole book say? How is it presented in the whole book? And you'll see that in this dynamic of studying Titus. So again, you go above the line by adding your own convictions to God's word. Now let's talk about going below the line. What are some ways that we minimize God's word? Think about how we minimize or take away from what God has said. Can you think of any situations or examples? Okay, okay, so it's, it's going to be okay because you know what? We, we, we see that, you know, in Scripture it talks about not putting anything before our eyes. And, and so this, this, this show, it's not going to really affect me, so I don't really have to, to adhere to what God's Word. So I'm just going to not think about that. I'm just going to skip over that part of God's Word. And besides, you know what? I've been saved by grace. So what other things? Got a big butt here. Hit that. What other things do you see? Okay. Okay, so giving to the church. You see that in Scripture it tells you to give, but maybe you say, you know what? God has all the cattle on a hill, so he can just take care of it. I don't need to do that. So I don't have to pay attention to that commandment. Christina. Okay. Okay. Okay, so using your own experience to give advice over Scripture. So Scripture may say something, but we don't adhere to it. We, we just skip over it because, quite frankly, my advice is much more beneficial. And so, so going below the line is that we can be reading Scripture, and we'll land on something, and we'll think, well, that's not really pertinent for today. Jump over it. Don't think about it. Don't count it into your thinking. And we read on, and then we see something else that, huh, <laughs> surely that doesn't mean me. Okay, jump over it. And so that's how we minimize God's word is that we, we pick and choose what we're going to let be informative in our hearts and our mind. And so what we want to do is hold to the whole line what has God said because he said it for a reason. And it does pertain today to your situations, to your relationships, to the circumstances that you find yourself in. Okay, so let's, let's look at this principle in Scripture. So if you have your Bible with you, if you will turn to Genesis 3, verses 1 through 3. And if you didn't bring your Bible in, you can scoot over with somebody else and share, share their book. But I want you to turn... To Genesis 3, chapter 3, verses 1 and 3. So take a minute and read that passage. And we're going to talk about these characters in this passage, how they did not hold to this line. So take a second to read. Okay, so now I'm going to read it in case those that didn't have their Bible can hear it too. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of, the, of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. And neither shall you touch it lest you die. So let's talk about Eve. How did Eve not hold to that line? How did she go above the line? Do you see in this passage where she might have done that? Yvonne. 
Okay. Okay, so now she's saying that, that you shouldn't even touch it. And she said that God didn't say that. How do we know what, what God had said? What do we ha- need to do? We have to go back. We have to go back to what God has said. Yvonne obviously knows what God had already said because she was able to answer that. So you've got to turn back and you go to Genesis 2, 16 and 17. Take a second to read what did God say concerning this tree, concerning his commandment. Take a second to look at that. And it says, The Lord God commanded men, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. Okay, and so Eve said that you couldn't touch it. Did God say you couldn't touch it? So what did she do? She added. And, and, and why do you think she added that? Why, why do you think? Do you think her motives were good there? Maybe they were. Maybe they, maybe they were in the sense that, you know what? I, don't, I, don't, I, just, I need to stay away from this tree. So I don't even want to touch it. And, and so we get to thinking this extra rule is going to help us. It's going to help us keep God's word. And, and the reality is, do I look to God to help me in fulfilling this commandment? Or do I look to myself and say, all right, now how am I going to do this? I know. I better not touch it. And so we, we see that this line of truth wasn't enough for Eve. She had to look to herself to keep it. And so that's what we do. A lot of times we'll add more to God's word because we see the good in what he has said. And we want so bad to keep it. And so we look to ourselves on how we go to do that. What else did Eve do? Do you see any other um, areas where she, um, maybe where she went below the line? Did she minimize any of God's word? Okay. Okay, there you go. Good, because God actually named the tree, didn't he? He actually gave it a name, and, and so she minimizes that by not stating what it is, not calling it for what it is. What else do you see? There's one more thing that she, and we may have touched on it, but we haven't really talked about it. Less? There you go. Okay, okay, so she wasn't believing God's word in the sense that, did he really mean what he said? Nah, nah, he probably didn't. And so she minimizes it, and, and we do that too. We, we'll look at God's word and we'll go, he didn't mean that, did he? And, and so then we discount it. So now let's look at the serpent. How did the serpent not hold to God's word? What did he do with God's word as he talked with Eve? There you go. There, so he put into question God's word completely. Did he even say? say did, did God even say? Well, we know that he said. So he's minimizing God's word by, by minimizing the authoritation of God's word. What else do you see? He's changing, so he's adding some words. He's saying any tree from the garden to indicate that, you know what, all of God's goodness that he's given you, it's not really there for you. He didn't really say you could eat from any tree. So he's, he's minimizing in some ways, and he's adding in other ways, because he's saying any tree is adding to God's word, and yet he's minimizing the, the goodness of God and what he had already provided, that he'd given them everything they needed. But he had just singled out one tree, and he's kind of indicating there was more than one tree. Anything else that you see that the serpent did? Change the consequences. 
yeah yeah and and so he he's looking at um you know the um you shall not eat from any tree and you know he, he's he's indicating that um that god god isn't going to keep his word you don't have to trust it so this is just an example to see how easy it is to not hold to the line and what did eve need at that moment what do you think she needed as this was taking place? She needed the Bible. She <laughs> did. She did. And so in this context, who, who would have been best to speak that Bible or that word to her? Adam. And why Adam? Because God had spoken it directly to Adam. And we know from the context of Scripture who was standing there. Adam. He needed to speak forth what God had said. And, um, and so that's why we need each other, too, is that, quite frankly, I don't have the whole Bible memorized. And, and so I'm not going to remember exactly what God has said, but someone else might. And so they can help me uh, to go back to the original, the truth to help me know what did God really, really say. And, and it's interesting, the Bible also tells us, not in Genesis, but somewhere else, that what Eve's problem was. So let's see if you can take a stab. What do you think Eve's problem was? Any, any guesses as to what her problem might have been in this situation? Well, let me... Let she didn't consult him, okay. What else? Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, Donna. Okay, listen to First Timothy 2.14. Donna was talking about that, that she was deceived. In First Timothy 2.14, it says, And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived and fell into transgression. So she was deceived, and therefore she sinned. So how do we become deceived? We don't know the truth. If we don't know the truth, then we can ha hear something that sounds a little bit like truth, and we can go after it because it sounds right, seems right, and next thing we know, we're in deception because we haven't hold to what the whole truth is. And, and so that was Eve's problem is that she, she either didn't know God's word well enough or she didn't believe God's word well enough that set her up to fall to what somebody else was saying and, and sin took place. And so we need to speak truth. We need that preacher of God's word to speak it clearly. And in speaking words of God clearly, judgment actually came to Eve and to Satan, right, in that context. And the thing that is amazing is that God kept speaking. He, at that point, could have passed judgment in the sense that he could never have spoken again and his wrath would have consumed all. But in his grace and in his mercy, he kept on speaking. He kept on speaking and giving to us the words of life. And that is the message of the biblical story is that God does keep on speaking. And he has spoken and we have it right here. And he didn't leave us in silence. And so we look to him who can give us the way to life instead of death. And so the ultimate word, the ultimate preacher that we have available to us is Jesus. He is the word. He is the line that God brought down to us so that we could get it. He is the one who perfectly held that line. And he is the one that can show us how to keep it. And so we look to him that God has provided for us because words are connectors of relationship. God desires for you to know him and for us to, to, to know ourselves with him, all of that dynamic of a relationship. And so we want to hold to this line. Let's move on to our next um, principle. And, and with our, our, our next principle comes 
another diagram. And it's going to be a little bit harder diagram than my last diagram, but let's see if you can tell me what, what it is. All right? So... Any, any guesses as to what that is? A musical note, yeah, yeah. So that's to kind of help you to remember this next principle, and we call it the melodic line. And so the melodic line states that it, we will handle a specific text better if we understand what the whole Bible is about. And so we, we want to know that in a book there is a repeated thing happening. And so we look at, at the musical note to kind of help us with this theory, this idea that in a, in a song, and I, I feel so inadequate talking about music because I'm just like not musically inclined at all, and, uh, but I will butcher my way through this, right? Because it really is a good example in that when you are listening to a song and somebody starts humming a certain tune, immediately you can recognize what song it is. Because if they're singing that chorus, that, that portion of the song that we keep going back to, and, y and you may not remember all of the other stanzas, is that what you call it? And I looked up, because I know she knows. <laughs> and, and so, um, but, but the chorus, we do know. And, and uh, well let's take a song, I mean, like Happy Birthday is probably not a really good example, but we're going to use it because I know those words. <laughs> so <laughs> so what, what do you hear repeated in that song? Exactly. And, and so you, if somebody were to start humming that, you would recognize it immediately because it's so familiar. And, and it's only familiar to you because you've heard it over and over and over and over and over, right? Well, in the books of the Bible, the Bible itself, the whole thing, has a melodic line that runs through it, a main thrust, a main thread, a main point. I'm trying to think how other ways to say it, a main idea. Well, in each individual book of the Bible, each little book of the Bible has a main theme, a main thrust, a main idea, a main point that gets repeated over and over again. And if we listen carefully, we can begin to hear it. We begin to pick it up like, oh, hey, he said this before. Huh, this has happened before. Hmm, I wonder why he keeps repeating this. That those kind of things will come to mind as you read and reread and read again and read again. And you're like going, gosh, I've read this book so much, I might as well memorize it. There you go, at the end of this study, that'll be your next thing to do because you'll have been in this book so much that you'll feel like you know it. Well, the thing that um, I want you to see is this example of how this gets repeated. So let's talk about the book of Judges. Some of you were with us last time, and we kind of touched on the book of Judges, and so you might remember Ryan, in his beginning of his Samuel study, kind of pointed to the book of Judges, kind of explained. Actually, he even told us what the melodic line was on that particular sermon. But let's see if you can, amongst all of us, pull out what we know about the book of Judges. What happens in the book of Judges? Anybody remembers an aspect of what took place in the book of Judges? Think for a second about that book. Elias. Oh. Okay. Good, good. So she remembers that people were rejecting God, which meant they went after other gods, and God punished them but brought a deliverer. And so... There was another aspect that before they did those things, they did something else that set them up for that. Anything remember what they, what they did? In fact, the book prior to that actually states what they did. Doing what was right in their own eyes. So that was where they started, doing what was right in their own eyes. Then they moved to following after other gods because their wisdom told them to do that, and God was angry, and so punishment came. Then a deliverer, and then what happened after that deliverer came? What did the people do? They repented. They repented, and then there was a time of peace. And did that happen just one time in Judges? 
No, it gets repeated and repeated and repeated. And so if you were studying the book of Judges, having read that several times, you would see that pattern. And you would begin to think, hmm, I wonder if this is the main point. I wonder if this might be the main idea of what Judges is. So you keep that in your mind when you go then to study all the little verses because these verses, these portions of Scripture within chapters are going to point back to that main idea in some way or another. Maybe it'll contrast it. Maybe it will support it by agreeing to it. But it helps you to understand these little pieces in light of the big piece. And so that's one of the things that you're, you're going to do this week is you're going to try and find the melodic line of Titus. You're going to read that book looking for what keeps getting repeated. You're going to read that book thinking what idea keeps coming across. What tone is being delivered by this person writing it? You're, you're going to read the book looking to find out, hmm, what is Titus about? And there are some strategies that you can use to find the melodic line. And so you have them listed in your, um, your outline. And, and some of these are more helpful than others, depending on the book. Some, some may not be as helpful. It just depends on the book. But, but most of these can help you land on what is this book's main idea. What is the theme of this book? And so the first one is, is to read the whole book. You have to read it and read it and read it again. Because if you, you, you can't hear something if you're not taking the time to listen. And, and so sometimes, you know, you read it silently. Sometimes you read it out loud, trying to listen to what maybe is being repeated. And, and, of course, with all of these strategies, we're praying, right? We're saying, God, help me to hear what keeps getting repeated. God, help me to land on what is the main point of this book. I need help, God. I flunked English. I don't know what a theme is. And, and, and so we, we, we seek God to help us. And you think that's funny because it's true I, I did I did horrible in English so if if God's helping me he can help anybody the second thing is a purpose statement a purpose statement is so important and it will always help you in finding the main point of a book and so you're going to go and you're going to read Titus and you're going to look for what did the author say why he's writing this book and, and some books are just, they're just so sweet because they say, I am writing to you because. And, and so that's just like, oh, right, there it is. That is so helpful. And Titus actually does that. So you are in for a treat on that one. For example, in the book of John, the purpose statement isn't until the, towards the way towards the end, like John 20, 30 through 31. So it would take you a long time of reading it before you even come to the purpose of why he's writing this book. And he states, John states that, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and by believing you may have life in his name. And so that purpose statement, if I have that in my mind when I'm reading the book of John, I am going to see other passages point to that to some degree or another because he's going to try and validate why he's writing. And so I go looking for some of that validation what he said and so you'll do that in Titus you're going to see why he is writing it and so then you look to see how how he supports that statement um, there are key uh, see the second thing is notice main things so you're going to look for what kind of main things keep kind of jumping up and, and some of these are real similar what I'm talking about but but sometimes um, you know a thing will come up and you'll think, huh, that, that seems pretty prominent. Maybe I ought to jot that down. And, and so you're jotting things down as you're observing them. And eventually you're going to look at all of your observations to make a conclusion. But right now you're just observing things. So you're trying to notice what kind of gets reoccurs. Repeating, repeated phrases. Repeated phrases are, are something for you to land on and to say, why does he keep saying that? 
In, in fact, in the, in the book of 1 John, I'm, I'm trying to memorize it, and I've noticed that he keeps repeating this phrase, by this you know, you, or, or you will know. And, and so these repeated phrases happens to have a word that keeps repeating itself. And so, I might, so I'm sitting here thinking, I wonder if know could be a key word, which is the next thing on your outline, that I should kind of look at. Maybe I'll do a word search on that word, know. And, and so I start with repeated phrases, and within that pre- repeated phrase, I notice, huh, there's a, a, a word that, yeah, that's in that phrase. And so that tells me it's probably a key word or a word that I should at least look into to see why does it keep being repeated. And, and so in, in the book of John, the key words that you're going to see would be um, belief, life, Jesus is the Christ, Son of God, fruit, life. All of these get repeated because he wants you to see that believing in Jesus, that he is the Christ, and that in him life comes. And, and so all of that is in this book. And, and so we, we look at the big picture because when we go to the little picture, the big picture helps us to understand what the little picture is saying. So we start big. Sometimes you look at top and tail. That means the beginning of the book and the end of the book. And s- the beginning, the first several verses of a book, sometimes authors will kind of tell you what they're going to talk about. And then at the end, sometimes they summarize what they just said. And so you look at those several passages at the beginning and at the, you know, verses at the end, and you look for similarities. Huh, what is similar here and what is similar here? And yeah, jot that down. And, and you look at, huh, how does this fit in everything else that he said? How is this fitting with these other things that I'm seeing? And, and you're beginning to narrow down what this book is probably about. Then you go to how it, maybe how the book is organized or structured. You know, how does he present his information? Does he start one way? And does there a, seems to be a pattern of how he's organized it? And I think you'll see that in Titus. You're going to see where he starts here, perhaps with this group of people and how it kind of goes through. So how is the book organized? That can be a help. Um, Then you're going to go, after you've done all of that work, then you're going to narrow down to the chapters. In Titus, we're fortunate that there's only three chapters to deal with. And so you'll look at chapter one, and you're going to read just, what is chapter one saying? What What is chapter one main point? What does he seem to be trying to get across? And yet, jot that down. Then you look at just chapter 2. What is chapter 2 saying? What is it just saying? And you kind of jot that down. And then you do the same with chapter 3. And then you look at how they fit together. How do these three main things from these three chapters point to these other things that you have jotted down? And so then you look at all of that information and you begin to say, I think Titus is about, next week I'll tell you what it is. So, but I want you to try and find it yourself. But let's, let's just take one of these strategies and let me show you how it can work. And like I said before, some of these strategies work better in some books than in other books. And so, you know, if it's not helping you, just move on to the next strategy. So go in your Bible, if you will, to Romans 1, 1 through 5. Those are the first verses in Romans. Go there. And I also want you to put a finger on Romans 16, verses 25 through 26, which is the end of the book. And look at those verses. And what I want you to do is to look at what is... um, common. And so we'll have four things that Gayla will write up as you say them on the board. What are the four things that you see are kind of mentioned in the first several chat verses that are kind of repeated in the last two verses? And, and, and he may use the same words or maybe he'll use words that 
hmm, that's really similar to this, even though he didn't call it that. But it really is that. So take a second, look at that, and see if you can find the four things that are similar to, um, to that. And we're not going to take a real lot of time because I want you to get to your, to your groups. But I want you to at least read it, and, and maybe between all of us we can throw up on the board the four things that you see. Okay. Um, obedience of faith. Thank you, Heidi. Exactly. That's the one of them. You see those in both. What else do you see? Just tell me what it is. I, Karen? Okay, the gospel. The gospel was promised. So gospel is one of them. So what else is, do you see that's similar? Two other things. And they will fit together. Okay, the prophets in the scriptures. So it talks about how they, you know, talked about these promises and, and that they were pointing to, to this gospel. And then what is the other, the last thing that you might see that is mentioned in both to some degree? All nations, yes. So in the first part, they just refer to Gentiles. But Gentiles is part of that, nations. And so we see that when we put all these four things together, that Paul is writing to the church in Rome, and he's speaking about this gospel that was foretold in the prophets, in the, in the scriptures, those prophetic writings. And what was it for? It was for the obedience of faith for all the nations. And, and so that can help you to think, I wonder if the book of Romans has to do with our faith, being obedient to what God has said, through the gospel, and it's not just for us, but for the whole nation. And, and so we would look to that to help us figure out what that melodic line is of Romans, and then we would keep it in mind when we would go to read it. And so these strategies are to help you get into the book to see what the big picture is. And so this week in your homework, don't, don't get overwhelmed, don't get um, frustrated if, if it's if it's harder for you than not, this, this is a skill that you just have to develop. And, and so get what you can. We'll come back again the next week, and we'll talk about what that melodic line is and, and what was helpful for one person, what may not have been helpful for another. But then when you found out how they did it, it was like, oh, I didn't even think of it that way. So we can help each other. So let me pray and close, and you all just skedaddle to your groups, and, and you can talk over your homework and um, grab some food and take it back, and we will um, end. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for um, that you spoke to us. What an amazing thing that you would see fit to talk to us, to give to us through your word the ability to know you, the ability to honor you and to walk in a manner pleasing of you. So God, help us to hold to the line of your word, to believe that it is sufficient by what you have said and that I don't need to add or take away from it. So, God, help me to hold that line. Help all of us. And, Father, I pray that you would give us understanding of the book of Titus, that we can come and land on what the main point is. So help us in our efforts there. And we ask this in your son's holy name. Amen.